Teachers are so important. Like, they actually are. Care about it and, like, actually try. I believe it is a beautiful piece of art. Welcome along to See Me After Class for 2020. This is a podcast that emanates from a beautiful school in the southern Alps of New Zealand. Now, let's meet the team. And here is Cathy, a parent who aspires to make connections in a community to build a successful future. This is Chris, who aspires to be an agitator who tests the boundaries just to see how the system reacts. And this is Anna, a silent observer who's a go-between between the students and the teachers in a classroom. This is Renee, who aspires to forge a progressive and creative path. And together, we are See Me After Class. Welcome along to See Me After Class, episode 53. It is week two of term four. We are basking in the sunshine in our beautiful alpine piece of paradise down here. A big welcome to Anna and Chris today. Nice to see you. Both of you, too. Yes. Missing Renee this week, who's feeling a little under the weather, but I'm sure we'll see her again soon. Yes, and so while she's away, we can get into this question of identity that we've been exploring, and she can listen and catch up. I've been uh, thinking a lot since our conversation last week about how the curiosity I have about people's identity and what it means to them to identify with certain aspects of who they are or what they do. And my desire was to ask more questions, was to go a little bit further. Uh, last week, I remember, Kathy, you spoke of your many identities and how identity changes due to circumstances, location, over time. And Anna, you spoke a lot about your identity as a migrant, mm-hmm. if I can use the word. Yep. Um, and at the same time also spoke from your identity as a parent, I felt. Mm-hmm. And so those are things I thought would be really interesting to go further with. So the sort of questions I had in mind were, Kathy, is being adaptable and responding to the circumstances as you do an identity? And if not, who are you, except for someone that responds to the situation? <laughs> yes is the answer to the first question. I think the adaptability and the evolutionary nature of my identity is central to it. Because yes, whenever we talk about identity, it makes me I automatically go to this place in my head where I think about the different roles I've played in my life. And some of those are circumstance, some of those are feeling-based, some of those are intellectual-based, some of those are roles or jobs or archetypes that I'm fulfilling because of where I am in my life. Um, And just before we started, I was explaining how um, Kowai Kwe, who are you, or Kowai Ao, who am I, is, those are questions that I've actually traversed quite a lot in the last year or two. So it shouldn't be quite so hard to spit it out, but it is. I'm I'm just really blanking where where I'd wanna go with that. While you're thinking about it, I might add that this notion of not having a clear answer to the question, you know, who are you, how do you identify, 
is so foreign to me. I've got such clear answers to the question. I've got a range of different ways I identify. I've got a range of different things I associate myself with, but I consider them to be quite fixed. Like I carry those with me into the places I go. So I'm finding this quite to be quite a revelation. I wonder if perhaps I've become so concrete in my identity because I've had to defend it. And that probably leads to you I mean, it seems logical that since I've had to defend aspects of my identity against the society outside of myself, it forces you to really commit to it or even just find a language for it so you can communicate yourself. But I'm interested. I want to know what it's like to, to be stumped by the question. Mm. So it's coming back to me, the thought I was going to share. Being a generalist is a key part of my identity. And that, I suppose, goes along with the idea of being adaptable and changeable. Reactionary doesn't sit particularly well with me because I feel like I am proactive and I am, I am a lot of things, mm. is, is the bottom line. And I don't want to let go of any of those in a way. So it's a portfolio of identity that I can draw on at different times. Mm. And that, now that we're talking about it, makes me realize that's part of what defines me. It occurs to me to consider this on the basis of gender and to think about how in society women are often asked to be quite self-effacing. A lot of the roles that are privileged for women have to do with the development of other people, whether it's children, family, community service. There's a lot of things that women are expected to do which actually aren't about their internal identity but are about the people or the world around them. And I'm just wondering if your response might be characteristic of many women who have had to inhabit a lot of roles that have to do with the other, with other people. Is that possible? I think it is possible. I think women are often described as relational. And that is a piece of, of this conversation is the fact that being in relationship with different people, not always serving and helping and supporting, but being in relationship is important to me is that because I'm a woman or is that because of just who I am hard to distinguish but I do think that's a feature of many women if we even look at relationships in business it's often been observed that relationally oriented women in business can go far because that's that is a priority for them and that often can lead to progress and moving things that can get stuck this is kind of a, a uh, digression, but since you've mentioned the role of women in, in, in organizations, I'm very excited to, to have discovered that our new school principal is a female and that they're coming in from outside our organization to help us to uh, respond to some of the challenges we've been facing over the last while. And so I must admit, I've ascribed some of those characteristics to her simply by virtue of knowing she's female, like it was such a positive thing to me to hear that we have a female principal and i have a, i've made a set of assumptions about how she might work based on that just that knowledge alone just that she's female that's that's, that's it. assumption that's enough it's really interesting because i've worked in an environment where i have had um male leaders and female leaders and um, with the male leaders that i've been working with there's been a real clear direction there's also been a kind of underlings of usually quite a lot of women who I feel would try and keep that male um, leader happy. 
with the way that they worked, with the way that they behaved around him, etc. The one female leader that I worked with when we were in Australia um, came in taking over two male roles and came in with a really clear idea of what culture should be within the organisation that I was working for. And it really riled a lot of women. And it was very interesting to be in a situation like that because I haven't been in a situation where so many women have left an organisation because they felt that this woman shouldn't be at the top of the organisation. I find her incredibly uh, eye-opening to me as a, another female because she came in with such clear ideas. She communicated them really effectively and made it very clear that this was the way collectively we were going to go. And if you didn't like that, unfortunately, you probably weren't going to be part of our organisation, which I can understand why people dropped off and dropped off. The thing that long-term impressed me was that she continued to commit to the culture of the organisation. What The first thing she said, she committed to. Um, I think a lot of the time, other women that I've worked with are less mal uh, less focused, more malleable, um, more likely to, okay, let's see if we can work with that, let's see if we can work with that. And I'm not suggesting that she, her way was the right way. Her way was the right way for that organisation to become successful. But it was the first time that I'd ever seen somebody uh, come in with such authority and come in with... Uh, very clear vision of what she wanted to happen in the organisation. It wasn't uh, a school, and I think that made the big difference. In school, we have to work collaboratively. There is no other way, I believe, to reach goals for such individuals throughout um, the school environment. If you think of all the characters and the personalities that we work with, I'd like to think that every pupil within the school would find somebody that they can associate with, whether that be male or female or non-gender. Um, with that as well, you, you've asked both Cathy and I about our what's, what's our key role, what's our purpose, and it's such a who are we, what's our identity. For me, I think the same as Cathy, that my role is constantly changing, my identity I feel is constantly changing. The one key area in my life when I felt as if I had reached an epiphany, reached a point, was when I started playing rugby at the age of 20. I'd gone to PE college where there was all these kids who were fantastic at sport, fantastic at sport, and I wasn't fantastic at any one sport. I was just pretty good at quite a lot of sports. And then I started playing rugby where everybody was on a level ground because none of us had played before. And then I played for a team of, of from a variety of universities. And I came across women who were from enormously different backgrounds, who were incredibly different sizes and shapes, but everybody was key within a, a rugby team. So you can imagine, big was important, small was important, fast was important, steady and strong was important. And to me, that has gone on to shape my life, is that seeing how important each individual was within that team, how important it all was that we pulled together, quite literally, not just metaphorically, and created a result together. And that's the first time I felt this is my identity, this is who I am, much to the horror of my granny, who <laughs> didn't like the fact that I was playing rugby. Maybe I'm listening to this with my own ears on and therefore hearing it my way, but there's a sense that you're describing in the rugby team a set of really clearly defined roles that are 
extensions of the strengths of the, of the various people then cooperating with each other. But it does seem to start from a place where there are roles that are clearly defined. I am a lock. I am a forward. I, and, and, and the qualities that I have, which may be size, uh, suit me to that position and that makes me feel I've got a clear understanding of my role in the team and what I bring to the team yeah, but there is a sort of a starting point of knowing who you are if that makes sense. That's a really good description of it and remember quite a lot of women the pressure on a lot of women is about being small being little being withdrawn not being big big is not celebrated um, your body shape as a woman, I find it can be constantly criticised. And that's why at that time, it just felt that there was acceptance for mm. the first time. Um, I was reflecting on what we were speaking about, um, about Ollie last week as well. And that feeling of acceptance, we spoke about it very briefly on the car on the way back, about how old you were until you felt that you had some sort of acceptance. And I do think it was then, it was such a key point in my life that yes, you're right, there were key roles within the team, but outside the team, these women were just really happy to be themselves amongst other people who were confident about being the, the position that they were in um, within society mm. as part of that team. Not just the, the, the positions that they played, but actually just being part of a group of women who were really accepting. So that's a identity by association, identifying with a group. Yes. Something that was interesting about the woman who was a strong leader, mm. perhaps I'm using my words yep. again, uh, was that those characteristics I think are often more uh, readily accepted in males. Absolutely. And so when a man comes into an organisation at a senior level and decides to set the agenda, it's kind of appreciated and people buy into that and accept it. Whereas when a woman does it, it appears to me that that's harder and that the level of acceptance of that is not as immediate. Would that be true? In that situation, that's exactly the response that happened. However, I don't necessarily think that would be the case um, depending on the, the personality that comes in. You know what it's like when you've worked with somebody who feel you feel like you're being bulldozed. Yeah. That's never positive. However, if somebody comes in with a clear idea and you think, yeah, I feel that I have the same vision as you, but I feel as if I'm being part and being encouraged to be part of how we get to that vision rather mm. than saying, well, if you don't like it, then you're gone. I'm thinking also that the degree to which the kind of world around us accepts us being particular ways can mm. can change the way we uh, the confidence that we might bring to accepting that so i'm thinking about you kathy as a person who does take a number of leadership roles around town in various ways about how is it possible that you are adaptable because there's quite a lot of risk for a woman as a leader to be seen to be too inflexible or too doctrinaire in the way that they approach their leadership work? Is there a way that women are expected to lead that has to do with being very adaptable? I think that's possible. I also think that to a certain degree we're getting, we're, we're mixing up some different concepts in this conversation. We're mixing up concepts of personality, of category, of gender, of role and kind of using them interchangeably, or maybe we're, what we're doing is exploring the relationship among them, mm. but they are actually distinct things. So I think an individual 
people's individual personality actually has a lot to do with how they shape perceptions of their gender because how you experience me and the, the identity that I'm displaying at any particular time might be then ascribed to me as a female and that actually may have nothing to do with it or it may have everything to do with it and until you kind of drill down into the specific experience or role or um, piece of identity it's kind of hard to tell the difference um, but to your question maybe I mean I probably bears a bit more reflection on my, my part you know how much of gender I think some of it probably more of it in my mind anyway is to do with the role I see myself playing as being independent apolitical collaborative because that's a lot of what my roles have to do with mm. is bringing people together accepting them for who they are and trying to come to some consensus so that we can make some progress on things I think I have a good understanding of what that takes sometimes and at its essence it's compromise is compromise easier for females than for males very possibly I think you've heard that even in this conversation you're um, exhibiting a great deal of concreteness around your understanding of your identity and less experience with the fluidity that that Anna and I are describing in ours yet there's a great um, comprehension and empathy for fluidity of gender, for example, in just recent conversations that we've had and that you've had with Ollie. So sometimes I think it's a matter of what we tap into that's really deep in ourselves and is part of our identity that may or may not have, you know, be connected to gender. The um, modern word for that is intersectionality, isn't it? Where mm. actually all these different components of our identities interact with each other. And so you can't, although they are, different things it's uh, potentially unhelpful to have a conversation about them separately because mm. they too they interact with each other too much it, it is all integrated and connected isn't it yeah i would be really interested to explore the personality typing tools that are out there within our group because it might help us further understand that dimension of identity mm. maybe we can do a personality typing exercise live <laughs> that's not going to happen oh well i think we can already decide what types well, we what have. does that say about <laughs> and it's almost time for us to go so does anyone have any last words on this it's it's an ongoing conversation it's really stuck in my brain since last week and it's just been ongoing and i've really had open conversations with my children it's been a really good thing Kathy so worthwhile to have the conversation because we don't often give ourselves the headspace or heart space to explore these things so I thank you to the listeners for being so indulgent is what I'd say yeah and of course if you've got a view if you've figured us out then uh, let us know <laughs> we, we'll be all ears <laughs> thanks very much everyone bye this was an episode of see me after class with Renee and Chris my Twitter handle is at edutronic underscore net. And mine is at Renee Plunkett too. See you next week. <laughs>